Hey, good morning, y'all. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler Jang. I'm the lead pastor here at River Run. And as you saw from that video, uh, this month in October, we're highlighting uh, our partners, um, that, you know, our nonprofit partners. And they're not just our partners. They're, they are nonprofits that are started by, launched by, and led by river runners. And they're making a really big difference, a big impact in our community. And so we wanted to highlight these nonprofits uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, just kind of help you to understand what is our strategy when it comes to uh, outreach into our community, especially with serving with people with different needs in our community. Well, one of the things is, and this may seem really kind of weird, is that at River Run, we don't have any outreach ministries. It's like, okay, that's really weird. A church doesn't have outreach ministries? Not, not really, no. What we do is we partner with nonprofits or we, we encourage river runners to launch a nonprofit by which then we encourage and come alongside and we also support and, um, and, and, you know, and send people to, towards as well. The reason why we do that, now it seems kind of strange, but the reason why we do is kind of threefold. Number one is nonprofits serve people segments a whole lot better than local churches do. They just do. They do better, best practices so much better than most churches do. Second of all, nonprofits raise more money than what a church could give towards those ministries as well. You saw Gina, her ministry of helpful hands, helping children in crisis in our own community has raised like hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars to serve children in our community, which is huge. It's something that we couldn't do just as a local church by ourselves. And third, what we see with a lot of nonprofits is more people diving into a nonprofit to help a movement. And so uh, with that, we recognize that, hey, if we're really about kingdom impact, if we really want to make a difference in other people's lives, then let's leverage what really has the greatest impact, which is nonprofits. And one of the other things about it as well is that we believe here at River Run to have a big kingdom mindset, not a River Run mindset. We don't do ministries in order to say, hey, look how awesome we are at River Run. What we do is we do nonprofits. And then what we do is encourage you guys to get plugged into those nonprofits. Not only are you making an impact in other people's lives, you're also going to be rubbing shoulders with other people who go to other churches or who are part of our community. It's a way that God intended to, us to do this. And so we wanted you to see these, these nonprofits and hopefully to encourage you to plug in. Maybe God moves your heart to want to plug into one of these um, nonprofits to pray for these nonprofits that are having an impact in our community as well. Or maybe it spur you on to say, you know what, this is a segment that I would really love to serve in our community. I would love to learn what it means and how to start a nonprofit, and we'll help you to do that. And we believe that it's making a big, big impact. You saw lighting the darkness, not just local, lighting the darkness. That was with Renee and Soraya. Renee grew up in an impoverished, uh, poor child in the Dominican Republic. And he decided with his wife, just God called them to go back there and to go and love in the name of Jesus Christ, his community. And so they started the nonprofit Lighting the Darkness, by which you guys getting um, together all that material for those kids. You're not the only one. They've developed relationships with other Hispanic churches. And, and so their movement has, is bigger than even River Run, which is great. It's what God really desires 
and wants from us. And we see that with helpful hands. And then over the next couple of weeks, you'll get to learn about two other nonprofits as well who are doing just amazing things in our community. Now, this is all tied into the series that we're doing on Jonah, which is the big kind of the big idea of the series is love is the hardest thing to do. So love is the hardest thing we do. One of the the, um, culture statements here at River Run is moving closer to God moves you closer to people. And one of the things that we see through Jonah and we see even through these nonprofits and those who are leading those where there's a moment in time where God kind of says, hey, I want you to engage in that people group or that person. Okay, and there's those times in our lives where we feel the nudge of God to say, hey, I want you to engage in that relationship by which we kind of go, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. One of the things with Gina, I'm knowing Gina for years, she's in my small group and, and everything, and the fact that, that God said, Gina, here's the deal. We're going to stretch you spiritually. You're going to go and love and serve children. And you saw from their video, she's like, I don't know if I even really like children. And so God said, you're going to do this. And one of the things I love about Gina was she didn't turn tail and go the opposite direction like Jonah did. She leaned into the Lord and said, all right, God, this is what you want me to do. I will do it. And it's changed her life. And through that ministry, it's changed and had an impact in so many kids' lives. But it's hard. It's hard when God says, hey, I want you to step into those those type of relationships. In fact, all of the people uh, that you're going to meet through these nonprofits, all of them would say, that there was a time of recognizing and realizing that they were that hard person, that God, through his love and his grace, became flesh and came into this world to give up his life, which is a hard thing to do, right? For the forgiveness of sins. By which through that relationship, that new relationship with Jesus Christ, that they experienced the love of God to the point by which God said, now I want you to go and I want you to go love like I have loved you. And they've all said, okay, well, this is going to be kind of hard. It's all right. I'll walk with you through this. And we continue to walk that journey. It doesn't matter. Just like Gina said, I think it's great just to remind us that it is still hard. But the more that we allow God to remind us of his love for us, and his love for us ain't all that easy either, even though we like to think of that that way. But even though, even that's true, he still loves us so much that he wants us to go out and go and love other people. And sometimes that is hard. And so in Jonah, just kind of recap as we kind of go along here, there was a, there was a prophet. There was this man. And in this, this story of Jonah, what you see is two types of people. You see this religious person, which is Jonah. He was a very religious person. And you have God himself. And when it comes to loving and loving people who are hard, they both had a very different idea. Jonah was more about himself, was more about his own people, right? It's easy to love people who are just like you or people that love you. And then there's God who says, go and love your enemies. Go and love the people of Nineveh. Go and tell them and speak to them the words that I give to you. And Jonah kind of went, don't want to do that. So Jonah turns away, he goes into a boat, and he goes in the opposite direction. God causes the storm, uh, <clears throat> things begin to break apart, he's thrown overboard, kind of, you know, you would think that if you're thrown in the middle of a, of a, of a big, huge body of water when, during the storm, you're going to die. And so this is probably going to be like the end of it for Jonah, 
But God in his grace, in his provision, in his love for his obstinate, disobedient prophet, he sends this, this provision of this, this big fish that swallows him and spits him out, gives him new life, a resurrected life, if you will, and put, plants him back on his feet to give him another opportunity, another chance. And we see that all throughout Jesus and his ministry, just kind of that picture, that fulfillment of Jonah. That here God sends his son, kind of the big fish, if you will, (laughs) you know, that uh, he goes and through his death and resurrection, there is salvation for us by which God gives us new life, if you will. And so Jonah has this new life. And we saw at the end of chapter 2 there, uh, Jonah prays to the Lord and he says to the Lord, he says, all right, I'll fulfill my vow. I'll do what you tell me to do. So now we're in Jonah chapter 3. So if you have Jonah, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to over there to Jonah chapter 3. And so we see this. So the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. All right, take two, God of second chances. All right, get up now. All right, go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. If you go back to the very beginning of chapter 1, um, God says to, um, to Jonah, hey, I want you to go to, that, to Nineveh, that great city. Uh, I have seen how wicked it is, and I want you to go, and I want you to speak the, my words to this people. So here we go. He was disobedient. He wanted, didn't want to do it, but God gives him, a, you know, comes along and redirects him, gives him a second chance. And so Jonah says, all right, I'll go. And so we see this time that Jonah um, obeys in verse 3. He obeys the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And it goes on. And then on that day, in verse 4, on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So he's going around saying, 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Now, kind of have to understand a little bit of the backdrop. If, you, if you've read all throughout this whole letter, if you go back to, to if you go a little bit further into chapter 4, you know, kind of, um, you'll see that, uh, and we'll talk about it here in a second, that the Ninevites, they turn their hearts back to God. And, and, and Jonah is just mad. He's just upset. He's upset that God would be gracious and merciful to his enemies. Okay. He wanted nothing to do. In fact, you see from Jonah's life, you go through his life, you'll see that when he gets on the boat, he wanted nothing to do with unbelievers. And then when he goes to Nineveh, he, he doesn't say anything about, hey, turn and repent, turn your hearts back to God. You've been wicked, you've been awful, you've, been, you've done so many ugly, gross things to people. Turn your hearts. He doesn't just say that. All he says is 40 days from now, you're going to be demolished, Okay. And so, but what you see from this prophet is that he doesn't want them to change. He doesn't want them to turn their eyes. He wants God to destroy them because of the ugly, hurtful things that they have done. Now, as Christians, can Christians be, you know, a kind of people that can be just shout to the world? You know, God's going to destroy you. God's going to destroy you. And you know what? Inside my heart, I hope he does because you are lousy, awful people. In fact, our culture in some regards feels this way from a lot of us Christians. That we just hate them. We would just rather the world just be destroyed and God would just destroy them. One of the things that God says in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11, God says this. He says, the sovereign Lord does not 
take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would turn their hearts and live. God does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would turn their hearts and live. God's desire for all his enemies, which is really all of us, is that we would turn our hearts to him and live. We would live. And so what we see is that God's love can even change enemies. Okay, God sends this prophet, he goes, and yes, you'll find out that maybe his heart isn't in it, but God uses them anyways to express to the Ninevites that yes, what you do is wrong, what you do is wicked, what you're doing is hurtful, what you're doing is damaging. It's not only damaging to all the people around you that you take advantage of. This city got large. You know why the cities get large back in the old days, right? They get large through taking from other people, plundering, killing, stealing, slavery, all of these things. This is why Nineveh got so big. But what you will see that even God in his love desires for that for these kind of people to be saved. And so we see in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest, the most powerful, the most influential, to the least, to the impoverished, to the marginalized, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. That they are sincere about this. That they are sincere about recognizing their own wickedness and the need to turn. And so when, it goes on verse 6, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he humbled himself. And he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in ashes of uh, heaps of ashes, showing that he was remorseful, that his heart was truly repentant. He showed it through his humility. Usually, when you're in a position by which you can do anything, back in those days, when you're a a superpower like the Assyrians, you do whatever you want. Yeah, I want them dead. Yeah, I'll elevate them. Yeah, you know what? I elevated them yesterday. Now I want them destroyed. And you basically can almost do what you want when you get into that level of power. And there's, there's so much pride and ego that comes with that. And see here that even the king took off his royal robes and dressed himself in burlap and sat on ashes. And then the king and the nobles, in verse 7, sent this decree throughout the city. And this is what it was. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. This is an all-of-us deal here. All of us. So people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly, sincerely, authentically to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Everybody, from the greatest to the least. So that hopefully, verse 9 goes on, you know, that hopefully, perhaps, even yet God will change his mind and hold back his anger from destroying us. And guess what happened? In verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God was merciful. Now, I understand it's really hard 
When you think about somebody who's, who's hurt you, and to think about them uh, in, a, in a way of that God really loves them, that God really wants them to win, and you think of them as just being despicable and horrible, and there may be a lot of truth to that. But let me tell you, God really does desire that all people would come to faith in him. It, God does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but they would turn and that they would live. Paul uses, or Jesus uses these words, you know, that they may have life, life in abundance. The Zoe, fullness of life. And one of the things about it that we will see through this, uh, through Jonah, through Jesus, and even to today, God desires for us to love the Ninevites in our life the way that God loves the Ninevites. And that is hard. So how do we do that? How do we practically begin to love people who are hard to love? Well, first of all, I think one of the things that uh, we tend to do, think about ourselves is, is that, you know what? I think I'm pretty easy to love. I think everybody pretty much thinks they're easy to love to some degree, right? You know, none of us really would think of us as, as an enemy that would be really hard to love. But one of the things that we see from Scripture is that you and I, we're enemies of God, okay? And we were enemies of God that his love changed. We were enemies of God that his love changed. Paul wrote it like this, and this is a guy who was a terrorist. He was just as awful in many ways as the Assyrians. He had people killed. He had people thrown into prison. He had people beaten. He had people uh, get thrown out of the synagogue, out of the place of, of worship. They got people thrown out of their communities, all of these awful things that he did. And he would say, first and foremost, as a chief of sinners, that God's love changed his life. And so now he says this to uh, everybody, to the Colossians, he wrote, you were his enemies. You were God's enemies. Every single one of us in, our, in this room, we were God's enemies. Separated from him by what? Our evil thoughts and actions. Our selfishness, our our desire to run the other way when God says, no, I want you to run into this relationship. Our pettiness, the way that we've hurt other people, the way that we've done things and the things that we did not do that we should have done. All of these things has made us enemies of God because we have decided that we wanted to go our own way and do our own things. And so Paul just lays it out. Let's just be real. Let's just be honest. You were enemies of God. But guess what? Now, he has reconciled you. Who did the reconciling? That's right. God did through Jesus Christ. And see, so we broke the relationship. We were his enemies, but he took the initiative to love his enemies. It was him who reconciled us to himself through whom? Through the death of Jesus Christ. That's hard love, y'all. That's hard, hard love. The fact that Jesus Christ was, was humiliated, and he is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. He was beaten. And this was a guy who was a miracle worker and helped people out and healed the blind and the lame. And, and those who were his best friends, they all ran away from him. But you know what? He died for all of them because he loves them. And so through the death of Jesus Christ in his physical body, and so as a result of him doing that, out of his love, doing the hard work of love, he has brought you, you, 
me into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That, when we think about our enemies, we always always have to kind of need to kind of come back to say, okay, wait a minute. You know what, God? I was your enemy, but you loved me. And you came into this world for me. And you sacrificed your life for me because you love me. And your love must work for when I think about loving your enemies because it worked for me because I love you. Because no longer am I your enemy, but now you're a child. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so when we think about other people, we need to think about it in those terms, first and foremost, that that God loves us tremendously. And he's changed our lives from enemy to child. But also in recognizing that we have a calling in this life. We have a calling. While we still have breath, God calls us to love our enemies. That's what we do. In fact, one of the things about our work on this planet is to love our enemies as Christ has loved his enemies, as Christ has loved us. In fact, Jesus himself said these words, right? Jesus said this in Luke chapter uh, 6. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, any of you who are willing to listen, he says, here's the deal, and this is going to be hard. He says, love your enemies. Now, one of the things is, is this is before Jesus Christ, you know, gave up his life for us. And one of the things, and you've heard me say this before, is that Jesus Christ never calls you and I to do anything that him, he himself would not do or has not done. So when we think about Jesus Christ saying to us, Tyler, love your enemies, you know, he's not just saying it from some kind of ivory tower platform. He says, Tyler, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So love your enemies, because you are my enemy, but no longer are my enemy. You are, you are a friend of God. So I'm calling you to go and do as I have done to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And you say, why in the world would I do that? Because it works. Why does it work? Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus did all the hurt. Jesus was hurt. He took the pain, took the suffering, and it changed your life. Now, you can say, well, wait a minute. It may not happen. Their lives may not change. And you know what? That's true. There's no doubt. It's, you know, let's just be clear about that. It may not be true. You can love somebody and you can pray for somebody who is mean and hurtful to you and they may never change. That's just true. Because here's the deal. You know why I know that's true? Because here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died and gave up his life for the world. But does all the world love Jesus Christ? And, and, and now has developed a relationship with Jesus Christ? No, there's still people who mock him, make fun of him, who deny him, all of these things. Did, does that stop him from loving the world? Did that ta- stop him from giving up his life for humanity, for us? No way. Because it's changed our lives. And through that, we are learning how to love others the way that Jesus Christ has loved us. 
And so he goes on a little bit, a couple of verses later, he says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. One of the things that is important for us to kind of understand, what is God doing in our lives? In a lot of ways, I always kind of think about it this way. God is changing our, our DNA. In 1 John, John says that God is love. It's his DNA. He just does it. Why does, it, why does God love? He, he loves because that's who he is. So in our lives, what God is doing is he's changing us into this new life in Christ that images Christ is that we are people who love. That's just what we do, okay? You know, sinners, they love based on what they can get in return from that. People of Christ who are, uh, you know, are like becoming like Christ, love because that's just what Jesus does. That's just who he is. That's just our DNA. And so it's in that, that we see that when God changes us and gives us a heart of love, and our heart is filled with the love of Jesus Christ, that we would pour out that love to everybody and anybody as Christ has done for us. So we are called to go and image the image of Christ in the way that we go and love this world. Why? Because that's who we are becoming. It's also part of our mission of the reason why we still have breath and the reason why Christ has not come back yet. Because here's the thing. Now, now is not the time for judgment. Now is the time for salvation. Now is not the time of judgment. Now is the time of salvation. And sometimes as Christians, we get so angry and so frustrated with how people are acting and all this sort of thing that we can be so judgmental. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't people who go out into this world and give clarity. But our clarity is because we love. The clarity is because we want salvation. Unfortunately, Jonah just went to Nineveh because he made a vow to God, and so he went. And so next week, you'll find out from Caleb, he wasn't really much of a willing person. He was just being obedient. But God, even through a, 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 you know, a not-so-willing prophet, still shows his love to a people by which their lives were changed. Because, you know, that was a time that God desires for salvation and not for judgment. Now is the time for judgment not, or now's the time for uh, salvation, not judgment. How do I know that? Do y'all know John 3, 16? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do y'all know the verses that come right after that? Most of the time we kind of forget. Well, these are the verses right after that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God... The reason, so that's true, so God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Why? You know, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. In other words, your enemies... If they don't know Christ, your enemies, they are already judged. And they will be judged by God Almighty for eternity. Their eternal trajectory is not good. When you think about total separation from God forever, it's the worst thing that you could ever wish upon another human being is to be away from God for all eternity separated in hell. 
God says that this is not that time for judgment. This is the time for love and for salvation. To speak to the world, to turn their hearts to God because a God who does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but they would turn and that they would live. So when we think about what God really wanted from Jonah was a broken heart for the Ninevites. It was also an empathetic heart of knowing that God could have judged Jonah. But even by God's grace, God saved Jonah to go and love the Ninevites so they would turn their hearts so there would be salvation and not destruction. And so when we think about our lives in Christ and we think about loving our enemies, a few things. Number one, just recognizing that we were God's enemies, that we were on our way to destruction. But guess what? God takes no pleasure in the destruction of us, but sent his son to die to sacrifice for his enemies, you and I. But those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But the mission of a Christ follower is not the judgment of this world. This world has already been judged by God. It's not the time for judgment. It's a time of salvation. It's a time to, to love, to do the hard work of love, to step into the hardness of relationships in this world in hopes of to give this world a clarity to turn their hearts back to God so that they too may live. Sometimes, you know, we, we kind of forget about that. You know, sometimes we kind of think about um, our own personal lives with God. Or sometimes we kind of think about maybe our influence and in being a blessing to other people, which is true. We need to be a blessing to other people. But we are called to be used by God to show the love of Christ. To, the be, to give the clarity of, a, of the love of God to this world. So people's lives would change, just like yours and mine have changed. We should be the most empathetic people to a broken, follow, uh, uh, broken world, lost world, because we were that way one time. And we should also be the most energetic group of people on this planet to go and love and serve and help people to see the mercy of God. Christ, so their lives would not be destroyed, but they would be saved forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so as we sing this song here, as we worship God, I just want us just to allow God just to, to work in our heart and to speak to us. One, to remind us that we are so loved. And two, he's calling us to do that same kind of love into this dark and broken world. So this world may be saved. Father, first, we are so grateful that you, through your son, Jesus Christ, did the hard thing of giving up your life for us. You didn't have to do that. You chose to do that. Why? Because you love us. And God, through that hard love of us, as, as we were your enemy, separated because of our disobedience and in our actions and our thoughts, you and your infinite love continue to pursue us. To pursue us, we were already judged, but you pursued us in order to give us salvation. 
Thank you for that. And thank you not only for saving us, for us giving us eternal life, but now we are your, your friend. We are your children. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those people, that you would work in our hearts, that we would be people who are empathetic to a lost and broken world, that we remember what it's like to be in that position, that we would be the most loving people that would step into even the hardest of things because we really dearly desire to see people's lives to change for all eternity the way that you do as well. So, Father, we just ask, and I ask that you would just speak into us and speak into our hearts. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.